Hello, dear listeners. It's that time again when we stroll through the paths of ambition, desire, and success. Welcome to the Dare to Declare podcast, where we explore the enchanting world of giant manifestors who've turned their visions and goals into the stuff of legends. I couldn't help but wonder, how do some people create the lives they've always dreamed of? Is it the magic of manifesting, the power of perseverance, or perhaps just a dash of serendipity? Well, dear friends, grab your coffee cups because we're about to spill the tea on fascinating journeys of those who dare to dream big and make it happen. Join me as we sip on success stories and ponder the ever-enticing question, can we all manifest our dreams into reality or is it just an urban fairy tale? I'm your host, Debbie Sluice, and I'm here to guide you through the labyrinth of achievement with heart and soul. Ready to dare to declare? Let's get started. I'm super excited to have Brian Proctor here today. And a little bit about him is that for close to 30 years, Brian had the privilege of working alongside his father as he taught from some of the world's largest stages. And for 60 years, they were best friends, his father being Bob Proctor. So while working with his dad, Brian found his niche in marketing and business development. In the very early years of the internet, Brian originated a powerful idea to build an email list while creating value, which morphed into a massive worldwide platform for his father to share his teachings. Brian attributes his success to all the lessons he's learned over the years from his father. And today, Brian enjoys his role as co-founder of Kelly Proctor Co. LLC, an organization created with his wife, Corey Kelly Proctor, whose mission is to empower people to live their best life by leaning into simple yet profound strategies. Welcome, Brian. Thank you very much, Debbie. It's, uh, it's really nice to be here with you. Amazing. So I just finished your book, as in last night. I, I, <laughs> I, I was um, planning to, as, as we talked earlier, I was halfway through, and then I wanted to get to the vision board chapter, which I'd love to talk to you about, but mm. I couldn't put it down, and I wanted to, to I finished it all the way through. So uh, for those of you who don't know, Brian has written the book called My Father Knew the Secret, um, Growing Up with Bob Proctor. So my first question is, what prompted you to write this book? Well, you know what, Debbie, it was, um, gosh, it was probably four years ago, um, I started to write the book. And I was talking with my wife. And and I said to her, I said, Corey, you know, it's dad always says, we've all got a book in us. And I said, I felt like I, I really had an urge to write something, I had something I thought I could share with the world. And I wasn't quite sure where I would go with it. And Corey just said to me, she says, Brian, what is that one question you get at every seminar you're ever at? Is what is it like being Bob Proctor's son? And so it just kind of all made sense. So I thought, well, I can write about all the lessons, all the thing I've learned uh, from my father over the years, right, from, from when I was a young boy. And um, so I started writing it. And I started writing when, when my father was alive. And we had a lot of fun around it. Um, you know, we would uh, often be on the phone with each other at 5 a.m. And I would share with him a couple of passages that I wrote, and he really liked it. And and then he would give me more information on a couple of things, maybe from when I was younger, of you know what we were doing and what was happening. And um, it was a it was a great process. Um, so that's that's how it started to come to be. I didn't finish the book until after he was gone, as you can tell by if, if you obviously you've read the book. Um, and the crazy part is, I didn't even have the title of the book before he was gone. And when I was working on it, we I, I, I kept telling him different type, titles I was thinking of and. And it was so funny. He just kept saying to me, he said, Brian, take your time with it. Take your time. Uh, the right thing will, the right title will come to you when it's supposed to, and you'll feel it. And 
it was almost as if I think he knew he wasn't going to be here. But um, the title of the book, interestingly enough, and kind of going off on your question a little bit, but the, the title of the book came to me in the middle of the night. And I was having a vivid dream of my father. This is after he passed away. And I woke up at 3 a.m. And that title, My Father Knew the Secret, was boom, in my head. And it was so clear and it felt so right. Um, you know, for, for those of you that don't know, my father was really a pioneer in the personal development industry. And he had worked really, really hard for most of his life and always did well, but was never in, in enormous circles. And when the movie The Secret came out, that's what really propelled him to a whole other level. That's when he got on Larry King Live, Ellen DeGeneres, Dateline, lots of, lots of shows. And, and who Bob Proctor was became more of a, a worldwide thing. Well, he, wasn't 72, he was 72 years old when that came out, um, which is amazing. So, you know, when you think about that. But anyway, so that, that movie was a big part of what propelled him to where he was, you know, before he passed. And it just... It all felt right with that title. It felt good. Um, and that's really how everything came to be. That's amazing. That's so inspiring. And especially when I hear about his age, you know, I work with people, I'm in my fifties and, you know, I, I consider I'm in my encore career and, mm -hmm. you know, there are people that it's like, I don't know, they just feel like they're on the down, the, the decline. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, wait, there's so many amazing people like your dad and, and yourself. So I'm curious, I'm kind of skipping around here a little bit, kind of going to the end, end but I, I would love to hear what, what is it up for you? Like, what is it that, um, that you're excited about that is in your encore? Because there's so many amazing things in this book that you've done, you've mm -hmm. accomplished in real estate, um, you know, and you've moved in, and lived in different places. So I'm curious in taking the example of your dad, what's next for you? Well, it's the thing. I mean, I'm in my 60s. And, uh, and, and quite frankly, Debbie, I'm reinventing my life right now. You know, I'd, I'd worked with my father for probably the last 25 years, at least, maybe a little bit longer than that. Um, and so for me, this is a, a whole new reinvention. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm working on some programs and some doings, doing some different things that will really keep getting the word out about who my father was, what his message was, and how it can impact um, every individual. I, I really think it's a it's an important message to get out there. I think we're all capable of doing so much more. And as you mentioned, age has nothing to do with it. Um, and, and so really, I, I'm all about just delivering the message of who my father was, not as the speaker, Bob Proctor, but really as a father, and how he helped me live a better life. You know, I often say, uh, Dad didn't give me anything, but he gave me everything. And, mm. you know, that's really what I'm doing now is I'm, I'm sharing all the things that he taught me that has enabled me to live a great life, living where I want to live, how I want to live. And uh, I know by sharing that message, I can help a lot of other people in the world live the way that they really want to live. So, um, yeah, I'm opening up to a whole new thing now. So it's, you know, it's never ending. And, and, and you know, my father was... Uh, he was 87 years old when he passed away and retirement was never on his horizon. Um, he was always about helping the world, helping people live a better life. And um, I, I wouldn't say I'm following in his footsteps, but I'm carrying on that message. Most definitely. Yeah, it's a beautiful legacy. And what I really appreciated about your book is 
there's a part in the book where you talk about your dad wanting you um, and a few other key people to the left of the stage, I believe it was, like at a table, mm-hmm. just so he could make eye contact and when he needed just to rest in between. And I feel like this book is like that, that, that view, that bird's eye view, like that, that view from that table onto the stage, which is not quite backstage, but sort of, it's just like, we're looking through your lens of him being your father. And what I really love is how you also go back and forth from, you know, the seventies, eighties, and then up to the present. Mm -hmm. And I love the story that you share about your dad as well as he's passing and how he's, you know, making um, connections with people that were even caring for him. Um, using their name and and those kind of beautiful things, and then also the the nuggets that you're dropping uh, of the quotes um, and the meaning that he made of life and how you sort of you intersperse all of that throughout the the book is is really beautiful. So I'm curious, did you feel like being Bob Proctor's son? that there was a certain expectation on your shoulders. And the reason I'm asking that is I'm a pastor's kid, like a PK. So my dad was a minister, my grandfather's a minister, and I know I have friends whose whose dads were principals of high schools. I can only imagine, you know, having Bob Proctor as your son. What did you feel sort of some of this yoke of responsibility? I'm I'm curious. You know it's funny, I really didn't. Um and you know, it, it might, that, that answer might be different for my brother and my sister. Um, however, I'm the one that ended up working with him for, for all those years. And he never put that pressure on me in that kind of way. Um, never felt that I had to follow him and do what he did. He allowed me to really be the best version of me. And he allowed me to apply my skills in whatever way I felt would help the company and, and get his message out. So um, it was, it was a kind of a unique gift that he, he, you know, he didn't propel that on me. I didn't feel that obligation that hey, I'm Bob Proctor's son. I've got to be all of this. Um, no, it was, it was really, uh, just let me be the best version of me and where can I contribute and you know, how, how can I make a difference in the world? Um, so it was, it was, it was kind of interesting that way. Um, there was no, there was no crazy expectations. Um, if there's any expectations, I might feel them a little more now that he's gone, which is interesting. Um, but again, those are self-inflicted, um, not not through outside sources. And what can you tell us a little more about that? Like, what do you think that those expectations might be? Well, really, I mean, for me, the expectations I'm putting on myself is to deliver his message. Um, really share with the world how we're all capable of being a better person, doing better things. Um, you know, you, you, you mentioned about when he was in the hospital. And I look back to those times and I think, wow, he really taught through the way he was. Um, that was a great thing. And that's really what I tried to put into the book is that dad didn't preach his message. He lived it. And, you know, when, when he was in that hospital room, I can think back to uh, sitting in the ICU with him for hours upon hours. And, you know, he was not in a good place at that time. Yet he was still always really careful about how he treated people around him. You know, he never let whatever was going on in him and in his life affect how he treated those around him. That was a really great thing to learn. And I go back to one situation, I think of, of a nurse that was in there 
and he had already had a few IVs in him, and, and she needed to get another one in, and she was poking and prodding, and she could not find a vein. Dad was not doing well, and most people in that situation is going to get a little cranky and maybe snap at the nurse. Well, you could feel the anxiety in the nurse as she was poking and prodding on him, and what he did was he simply put his hand on her hand, and he just looked at her. He said, dear, you're doing a wonderful job. Don't worry. You'll, you'll find it. It's all good. I'm, I'm really glad you're here. And he made her feel special in that moment. That was a really nice thing. Well, he took all of her anxiety away. And it was like the next instant she got the vein. It was, it was amazing how that worked. And dad had always said that a pro is at their best regardless. Doesn't matter. He'd never let outside circumstances dictate or, or, you know, force him to do things in a certain way. He was always trying to be the best version of himself. And that's one thing I share in the book. I share in the beginning and the, at the very end is what would happen in our life if we're the best version of ourselves every single day? My gosh, think about that. If every day, I, I, it's not to say that one day to the next isn't going to be a little bit different, but if we actively work at being the best version of ourselves. My gosh, Debbie, in, in a matter of a few months, our life will be completely different and our relationships will be different. Everybody around us will look at us differently. And quite frankly, our results will really start to uh, increase uh, because we are doing the best we can in the present moment. And that's just that's something that I learned from dad. It's something that I, I, I in my heart, I carry on. And uh, so if there's any pressure from anything, that is that is that's where it's at. And that's that's how I feel, uh, you know, what I put onto myself. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. And what do you think your dad would say about that? I think he'd love it. Um, I think he would love it. Um, you know, one of the things that dad shared with me at the end, he said, Brian, keep talking to me every single day. Just keep talking to me. And you will hear my voice in your, in your intuition, that just that quiet uh, something within. And I believe that. Um, and I feel that, uh, I, I feel he's proud at what I've been doing. Um, I really feel I've held him in a very good light um, in the way that he treated people around him and, and how he led uh, his message, what he did to, to, to get his message out to the world. And I, I believe he'd be proud. That's, that's what I think. Beautiful. I love the picture. I think it's your granddaughter watching a YouTube video of Bob. And um, just to think about how all of that is, you know, truly creating that legacy within you, but then also the extended going into grandchildren and children. Yes. I love the story that it demonstrated how, yes, you worked with him, but yet you're different. And it was about when you were living, I think, on the on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. And you went out in a canoe and it was, you were trapping shrimp, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yep. prawns. And so would you share that story here about um, the, the final piece where you got caught in a storm and it just, it feels like I was thinking about stories of manifestation in your book. And even that feels, it feels like a miracle and it feels like a manifestation. Again, I don't want to give it away. So would you, would you share that story? Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that that dad had always taught me, he says, you know, if you are at peace uh, with yourself and in the way you treat the world, 
you can almost become one with nature. And this is a, a great you know, example of that. So, um, you know, as you mentioned, I was out, I was trapping uh, shrimp or prawns, they call them here. And um, I had set the traps out one day and it was getting really stormy and, and windy. And, and when I picked the traps up and went to put them back in, it fog kind of come in and I couldn't tell exactly where I was. I was in a canoe, um, so I had to be careful that I, you know, I didn't flip. And I dropped the traps. Well, I, I was obviously in way deeper water than I thought I was. And the traps kept going, the, the, the rope kept going out, going out. And at the end of the buoy is supposed to sit at the top and just float and let you know where things are so you can pick them up. Well, it hit the end of the rope, pulled the buoy over, and it went underwater. It was gone. So I thought, oh, <laughs> you know, I probably lost that. Anyways, I had to get back in because it was, it was too rough. Um, things were blowing in. And it was probably a week later before things actually calmed down. And I went out and I started looking for these traps. I rigged up a pole with a hook. I thought, if I can find this buoy, I can, I can get them up. And when I'm out paddling around, there was always this one seal that had always come out with me when I was there. There was a few seals around, but this one in particular, there's certain facial markings, I always recognized them. And this seal was always watching me. It was really, it was kind of cool. It was just, it was a fun experience. Well, that day when I'm back out looking for this, the seal is out there with me. And he's swimming around, and he's looking at me, and it was, you know, it was all nice. It was a beautiful day. I could not find the traps for the life of me. I, I looked everywhere, and I was probably out there for close to two hours. So I finally gave up, and I started to paddle back into shore. And as I paddled into shore, the seal started swimming out. And as I got really close to shore, the seal started to bark which was kind of unusual. Um, you know, once in a while it would do something like that, but not, not this way. It was barking pretty insistently. And then it started to swim in circles. That was really weird. I, I was kind of pulling the canoe out of the water and it was really swimming in circles and barking loud, but way out there. And I, so I listened to my intuition. You know, we talk about intuition. I thought, gosh, you know, maybe the seal is telling me something. I should go out. So I got back in the canoe and I paddled up to where the seal was. And it was way further out than I would have ever put the traps. This seal was swimming around where the traps was. And the buoy was right there. It was about six feet under the surface. And it was, it was probably one of the coolest nature experiences I've ever had, Debbie. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget it. Um, you know, it was a pretty special moment with nature, that's for sure. I loved how you told the story in the book. I could literally see it and um, you know, and, and being called the seal whisperer after that. I mean, I'm sure your neighbors are all impressed with your connection to nature. Uh, and then what I really loved was you said that your father came to visit you. And even though he was a luxury hotel, you know, um, backseat of the car kind of gentleman, yeah. he appreciated your rustic accommodations for you and, right. and was there with you. And I just thought that was really a beautiful uh, peek into your relationship with your father and yeah. the respect that you had for each other. Well, that, that was a really nice thing about him. He never uh, injected the way he thought I should live onto me. Um, you know, yes, he liked to live in uh, beautiful hotels and a beautiful house. And I, I, I love living in a beautiful house. Don't get me wrong. But uh, we, we have different um, values that way. And he never projected that onto me. He always encouraged me to live the way I wanted to live and do the things that I wanted to do. And uh, that was a really, uh, that was a great thing. And I've, I've learned to, to do that with my own kids. Sometimes my own kids are doing things that, gosh, that's not something I would do. 
But knowing that the way that always encouraged me to do whatever it was that I desired, that's how I am with my children. And, and I encourage them in whatever they wish to do, even if it's something I wouldn't choose to do. I think that's a, I think that's a great way to be. Um, and I think you really will bring up the best, best children by just being a support and encouragement rather than inflicting your, your viewpoints on them all the time. For sure, for sure. And that makes me think about leaving everyone that you meet with the impression of increase. And you spoke about that as well. Yeah. And that has become one of my mantras since studying your dad's work. And that it's just such a generous way to be. And right. I, I really appreciate that. I'd like to ask you a question because I, I, I know, and this is how I think I found you and met, saw what you put on your post that you have a vision board. Yes. And so then to my you know, delight and surprise, you have a chapter dedicated to visioning. And in fact, even the Power Life script, I saw that as well as an extension to the vision board. Would you talk to me a bit about your vision board experiences, uh, how long you've been doing them, and perhaps a little bit about your current one? Even though we talked about this before, um, we're not going to show it. And I, and I just so appreciated, Brian, that you'd said that to me because many people see it more as an art project or just something, a collage, and then it's just like a fun paint by numbers kind of activity. And as soon as you said that, I'm like, ah, of course he knows that. It's a sacred activity. It's like you're opening your mind and your heart and on display. And it's truly just for you, not for this audience. But whatever you would be open to share, I, I'm sure people would appreciate hearing your take on creating a vision and vision boards. Sure. Well, here was the cool thing that I really like when you reached out. The fact that you specialize in this area. Um, I just thought that was a great thing, Debbie. I, you know, I think so many people underrate what a vision board is and they don't give it enough merit. Um, I've been using vision boards for years and um, I'm a big believer in them. Um, you know, we, we talk about the power of visualization and, and all these things to, to become a success in life. Well, a vision board is just basically putting all of your dreams, all of your hopes, all of your wishes into a place that you can look at every day. Um, I did mine in such a way that, you know, I would have my main goal, whatever the big thing I was really driving for. And then I have images of all kinds of other things I want in my life, whether it be cars, boats, uh, homes, vacations, um, you know, whatever that may be, I put them in there. You know, in the past, I've had things like, uh, you know, six pack abs. And um, I, I can remember one thing that, that was really meaningful to me that I had on the vision board for quite a while. And that was an image of a mortgage with fire being burned. Um, and, you know, having like a mortgage burning uh, party um, that, you know, I I'm, I'm, have no mortgage any longer. I would use all kinds of images that for me resonated, that felt good and have it in a place that I could look at all the time. I like to frame mine. I like to make it like it's a piece of art and I put a proper frame around it. I think for me, that's important. And I used to have it in my bedroom. So it'd be the first thing I'd see when I wake up in the morning and the last thing I'd see at night when I went to bed. Well, it seems I'm spending a lot more time in the office lately. Um, so, you know, as you saw in that one post, um, I guess maybe a month ago now, I moved it and I set it right here in front of my desk. And so I have it here that I can see it all the time. And it is, uh, I'll tell you where my take on the whole thing is. Number one, 
the experience of putting it together, it's like a little art class. It takes me back to childhood almost when I was doing it. But what you're doing is you're picking images that resonate in your heart and you're putting it all up there in a way that every time you look at it, you're just putting that vision, you're cementing it into your subconscious mind. That's the important thing. You're making it a part of who you are. And I can tell you with, with all certainty that if you make a vision board and you really stare at it all the time, you keep looking at it and then you start taking action towards these things, you will achieve everything that's on that board. I've had many boards over the years and I can tell you I have achieved everything that has been on my vision board. Um, now, there's maybe been a couple of things that I've taken off the board because I decided that's not what I want in my life, but I never took them off because I didn't get it in my life. Um, and that's, that's really an important thing. So, you know, I commend you because I think there's a lot of value in that. And I think if people would take it a little more seriously, not like a, a, a you know, a kid's art project, um, I think you'll get the value out of it because there is value there. Dad always, he always taught that we learn things and we do things in our life through repetition. We form new habits. We bring things into our life through repetition. A vision board is really that. It's, it's repetitively looking at, at specific images that really resonate with where you want to be. And, you know, that when the movie The Secret came out, the one thing that it did was really talked about you need to create a vision of what you want your life to be. The other thing that it didn't really cover is that we need to step out and take action. And I think if, if you have this in front of you all the time, you're going to start stepping out and taking action to get whatever it is you want, because otherwise you're just going to get frustrated looking at it. And it's, it's, it's a great way to attain more in life. That's kind of my take on it. Yeah, you, so well spoken. Thank you. And one of the things that I really appreciated you saying in the book, and I agree, is that it has to do with the emotions. So not only the repetition, but that you feel the choices, that uh, you feel emotionally connected to them. Did you right. have a quote by the Montessori, by Maria Montessori, I think, in your book? Some, I did. Something about when it, Yes, I should have marked it before we came on here, but one of the, the reason that struck me is because my background is in early years. So I was in childcare for 30 plus years. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't teach in the Montessori philosophy, but I was very familiar with that. And, and to paraphrase that, I believe when it's in the hand, it's in the heart. And so this is where, you know, when you're able to play, so you talked about child activity, but when you're able to, like you said, it's like playing, then yeah. you actually, that's why I'm a really big proponent of paper versus this sort of easier digital version. And, and I love that yours is paper and I love that you, you frame yours as well. Yes. I'm looking for that quote as we're speaking because- I know, I should have uh, marked it, but it's something to do with Montessori, Maria Montessori, or yeah, yeah. I think there. You, you also talked about manifesting your dream car. Now, do you still have your Austin, is it Healy 3000? Yes, Austin Healy. Yeah, that's, do you want me to tell that little story? I'd love that, yeah. Okay, it's, it's kind of a fun story. So um, I don't know why, but I have always had a thing for Austin Healy's, um, and Austin Healy 3000. They were a car that was made in the early 60s um, in England, little convertible sports car. Um, I'd seen quite a few and I always thought they were a cool looking car. They sounded great. I saw some at some old car shows and things. So when I was building a vision board several years ago, 
I put an Austin Healy on the vision board. Um, again, it wasn't my main goal, uh, but it was something that I wanted in my life. So I had it there on my vision board. Well, back in 2016, dad was being honored at Carnegie Hall in New York City um, for all the work that he had done over his lifetime. So I thought, well, I'm going to go into New York City and see this. I, I, I thought that'd be fun. And there was a website that I'd followed for years um, of a, a place in New York City, Cooper Classic Cars. Um, and they always had quality cars um, that were, you know, collector cars, old Ferraris, Jaguars, Austin Healey's, Porsches. And they were always in concourse quality condition, like as the day they rolled out of the factory. So I thought, I'm, in, I'm going to go into New York a couple of days early, and I'm going to go down and check this place out. So I went down there, and it was closed. And I thought, oh, that kind of sucks. It's, you know, it was a Saturday, probably midday. So there was an intercom button. I pressed it, and the fellow said, well, I'm sorry. We're only open by appointment only. It's not a, a showroom that anybody can walk into. And so I explained to him that I'd been following their site for a few years, and I'd be kind of interested to see what they had. And so he said, well, you're lucky. I'm here right now, so I'll, you know, I'll come down and let you in. And he, he turned on the lights and opened the doors, and I walked in. There was only maybe a dozen, 15 cars in the, in, in the showroom. And right up against the wall was this Austin Healey. And Debbie, it was the exact color combo, everything that was on my vision board. It was like, wow. I mean, you talk about how things work. And I looked at that car and I thought, wow, this was on my vision board. And, and you know, I, I think just the action of going down and checking this thing out was was something in itself. But I started talking to him and it was it was a pretty high price because this car, I mean, you could eat off the engine. It was like better than new. It was in immaculate condition. And it was a 1962 model. Um, and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, wow, this is really cool, but boy, it's a lot of money. I've got a house I'm working on renovating. And I just couldn't justify spending what I needed to spend to get that car at that moment. And so I had my poker face and I said, well, let me think about it. And, and I left and I walked out of there. Well, at that time I was about to turn 55 years old and no particular reason, 55 has been my favorite number forever. And I wasn't doing anything special for that birthday. And I thought, God, I need to do something that would remind me of this birthday forever. And all of a sudden it hit me. I thought, God, it'd be kind of cool to buy this car as a 55th birthday present to myself. And I'm walking along and I'm thinking about it. Well, then I did the one thing that would get me to cross that line every time. I texted my father pictures of the car and I gave him a call. And, you know, you talk, we, we talked earlier about dad supporting me in whatever I wanted to do. He would never buy a collector car. He would have thought, why would you want something like that that you're going to spend all this money on? You drive it only once in a while. But he never inflicted that on me. He said to me, Brian, is that something you really want? I said, yeah, it really is. But I've got this to do and that to do. And he just said to me, he said, those are all reasons why you can't do it right now. How can you do it right now? And he would get me to turn that around and start to think about how can I do something? And and I started to think about that. Well, if I do this or do that, maybe I could. And, and he's just said, Brian, all you need to do is make a decision. You make a decision, you step out and do it. You'll find the way. And that was, I guess, all I needed to hear. So I went back and I negotiated a deal and I bought the car. And I'm walking back to the hotel room and I thought, gosh, I'm going to, I called the fellow back up and I said, can you just email me the British heritage certificate on the car? So I have that to look at before you ship the car down to me. He said, sure. So I, I get back to the hotel room. Well, Debbie, I open up this email and here's the crazy thing. You talk about the law of attraction um, and the power of a vision board. 
So number one, I've got the car that is exactly like a car I had had on my board for probably four or five years. Um, was never a main goal, so it wasn't something I drove after, but here is something I brought into my life. Well, I said I bought it as, my, as a 55th birthday present to myself. Well, here's the crazy thing. I was born December 8th, 1961. The car is in 1962. But I opened up the heritage certificate on the car. The car started to be built on December 8th, 1961, the actual day I was born. I mean, you cannot make that stuff up. So it's, you, you, you want to talk about the power of these things. Um, I think that story kind of holds true right there. It's amazing. And don't you love when those things happen? It's like the goosebumps, like the hair stands up oh, on boy. your arm and you know when it's a manifestation when you say, I can't make this stuff up. Like it's <laughs> just, it's unexplainable and yet it is explainable because it's through manifestations. So awesome, awesome story. So let's, if you, let's wrap it up and because what I'd love, I'd love to hear and if you would share, is there a particular mantra, some nugget of wisdom that you have from your dad that you walk in? And again, I don't know if there's just one, but something that really stands out for you that you walk in every day that, as you said, you can hear his voice. Is there something like that that you could share? There's a couple of things, but probably the big one is something that you had, you had mentioned earlier that we just kind of passed through, and that was the impression of increase. Um, you know, something dad had always taught me, he says, if you can leave everybody with what he liked to call the impression of increase, uh, you're going to live a better life. And what that is, I'll just simply do it without going through a long story around it, is simply put, is leaving everybody that you come in contact with feeling better because they came in contact with you that day. If you can do that with everybody you're in front of, make them feel special, make them feel seen and heard, you're going to make friends easily. You're going to get on in the world in a great way and you will have all kinds of people that, are will, that will help you along the way because you've made them feel special. Um, my father was a master at that. Uh, you, you would see him at the seminars. He'd come down off the stage and he'd put his hand on somebody's shoulder and he would talk to them. There'd be a crowd of a thousand people in the room, but he would, he would be right in and talking to that one person and he was present for that one person. He was giving the impression of increase to that one person. It, 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 it's just a way of being. And if we can treat everybody that way, make them feel better because they came in contact with you. And it's easy to do. It can be a simple compliment um, or it can be a simple thing as, as asking meaningful questions and listening and really taking in what they're all about. Um, that's probably one of the biggest things I think I've learned from dad. I learned that at a very young age. I see my own kids doing it. Um, and it's a, it's a great way of being. That's how dad was with that nurse in the hospital. Um, it's the way he treated everybody around him. He always tried to make them feel special, make them feel seen and heard. And if we can do that, that's, that's, that's a pretty special thing, Debbie. Absolutely. And I have felt through this as you speak, I can feel him here, his presence here, and the, my vibration is higher. And I hope all those that are hearing this feel the same. And so, how can they get a hold of you, Brian? How can they purchase your book um, mm -hmm. and follow your work? Uh, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? The easiest way to get in touch with me is just go to brianproctor.com. Um, there's a link there that you can buy the book. The book is called My Father Knew the Secret. Um, and if you don't even want to go to my site, just go to Amazon, uh, My Father Knew the Secret. Uh, but if you go to my site, you can, you, you can order the book there in whatever country you're in. Um, there's some extra bonuses that, uh, that I provide with that. 
Um, and that'll give you everything you need right there. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for this very first interview here as launching this Dare to Declare podcast. I'm so glad it was you and um, wishing you so many blessings um, as you carry on your dad's work. Well, thank you very much, Debbie. I really appreciate being here. I love what you're doing and uh, I, I wish you the best of days today. Thank you.